The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, are we prepared to reckon with how much of the world came to a stop when Facebook went down yesterday? Plus, thanks to a new discovery, you may soon be able to find out if you had an identical twin in the womb using just a simple cheek swab. And it's Nobel Prize week. The winners announced thus far produced groundbreaking work using everything from spin glass to chili peppers. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So as you are likely aware, and if you're not, I'm very envious of your day-to-day life, but yesterday, Facebook and all of its associated apps like WhatsApp, Messenger, and Instagram were all down for about six hours, the longest outage since that full day outage in 2019. Brian McCullough over at our sister show, The Tech Meme Ride Home, covered why this happened technically, so if you're curious, definitely go give a listen to today's episode, but I want to talk more about the social, cultural, and economic ramifications of the outage. First, some basics of what happened, quoting NPR. An update to Facebook's routers that coordinate network traffic went wrong, sending a wave of disruptions rippling through its systems. As a result, all things Facebook were effectively shut down worldwide. End quote. And it wasn't just Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Oculus. If you use that login with Facebook feature on third-party sites, that wasn't working yesterday either. And Facebook's internal communication systems for employees were also inaccessible, making it that much harder to fix the problem when it occurred. There were even reports that Facebook employees' badges wouldn't work to get them into buildings on campus. Facebook stock prices plummeted during the outage, which came on the back of a whistleblower's big 60-minute special. Said whistleblower Francis Haugen is currently testifying before Congress as I record this. So not a great week for Facebook. But of greater concern to many, rather than the losses of a billionaire or his increasingly unpopular corporation, is the many people around the world whose livelihoods depend on Facebook products, and what it means that we've become so reliant on just one company. Quoting the New York Times, Facebook has built itself into a linchpin platform with messaging, live streaming, virtual reality, and many other digital services. In some countries like Myanmar and India, Facebook is synonymous with the internet. More than 3.5 billion people around the world use Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp to communicate with friends and family, distribute political messaging, and expand their business through advertising and outreach. Facebook is also used to sign in to many other apps and services, leading to unexpected domino effects, such as people not being able to log into shopping websites or sign into their smart TVs, thermostats, and other internet-connected devices. 
With Facebook being down, we're losing thousands in sales, said Mark Donnelly, a startup founder in Ireland who runs HUH Clothing, a fashion brand focused on mental health that uses Facebook and Instagram to reach customers. Samir Munir, who owns a food delivery service in Delhi, said he was unable to reach clients or fulfill orders because he runs the business through his Facebook page and takes orders via WhatsApp. Douglas Vinny, a gamer in Cleveland who goes by Good Game Bro and who's paid by viewers and subscribers on Facebook Gaming, said it's hard when your primary platform for income for a lot of people goes down, end quote. But it goes beyond small businesses. People in many places without cell phone service, but with some sort of occasional internet access, depend on WhatsApp or Messenger to send messages and make phone calls. Tons of organizations, particularly those helping people in dire situations, use the apps as their sole method of communication. The MIT Technology Review shared the example of the Afghan Support Group, a volunteer initiative working to evacuate vulnerable Afghans. One co-organizer of the group had just asked if someone could be added to an evacuation flight out of the country when Facebook Messenger went down for almost six hours. And as the Tech Review points out, quote, This was by design. For years, Facebook has been working to expand internet access in the developing world, which would also expand its own user base. The company has explored the use of satellites, drones, and radio-linked wireless networks. It has partnered with local telecommunication firms to improve physical internet infrastructure. In 2013, Facebook launched Internet.org, an initiative that allows users to access Facebook and certain other websites without incurring any data charges. This was part of Mark Zuckerberg's grand plan to get the world online by providing internet access to the 85% of the world at the time that had access to cellular data. But in 2016, the program, now renamed Free Basics, was banned by India's Telecom Regulatory Authority, which claimed that it violated net neutrality. Despite that setback, it has continued to roll out, with less fanfare, to other countries in the developing world. In 2018, Facebook said Internet.org had put 100 million people online. In 2019, Free Basics was available in 65 countries, around 30 of them in Africa. Last year, the firm began rolling out Facebook Discover, which allows Internet users to access low-bandwidth traffic to all websites, not just Facebook properties, even if they've run out of data. End quote. The reliance of so much of the world on Facebook's products is part of why Sarah Aoun, vice president for security at the Open Technology Fund, called yesterday's outage a, quote, big infrastructure collapse, end quote. And that's kind of it. Facebook is basically a form of infrastructure at this point, and yet it's not being regulated in the same way. Some people may have welcomed a break from the noise of social media, and others joked about not turning the platforms back on again, which is tempting. But the sad truth is, we've allowed too many of our businesses and social services and so much more to become dependent on Facebook's products. So as much as some of us may fantasize about just turning off Facebook, yesterday proved that doing so won't be so simple. One in 100 births worldwide are of twins, but as many as 12% of us may have had a twin embryo with us in the womb that didn't survive, something sometimes referred to as vanishing twin syndrome. And a team from the Free University in Amsterdam has found that there are markers on our DNA that could tell us whether or not we ever did have an identical twin. 
The study, led by epigeneticist Ginny Fandongan, mostly focused on the epigenetic markers that identical twins share from birth through adulthood. However, the findings could be used eventually to discover whether people who are singletons once had a twin in the womb, or perhaps was even unknowingly separated at birth. Quoting Science News, Researchers know that identical twins form after a fertilized egg, called a zygote, somehow splits into two embryos during development. But why this cleavage happens remains unknown, Fendongan says. For the most part, identical twins don't run in families, and they occur at roughly the same rate worldwide, about three to four per a thousand births. With no clear genetic or environmental cause, the prevailing hypothesis is that identical twins arise at random, she says. Early development for twins and non-twins alike happens amid a flurry of epigenetic changes that turn many genes on or off as an embryo takes shape. Some of these changes may account for slight differences between identical twins. So to better understand what makes a zygote split to form identical twins, it makes sense to look at epigenetics, Fandongan says. She and her colleagues looked for epigenetic differences at over 450,000 sites along the genomes of nearly 6,000 monozygotic twins and dizygotic or fraternal twins. Comparing identical twins with fraternal twins, as opposed to comparing twins to non-twins, allowed the researchers to rule out any epigenetic changes that stemmed from the unusual experience of sharing a womb. At 834 spots along the genome, identical twins were strikingly similar, the researchers found. These shared epigenetic markers were concentrated in certain parts of the genome, including centromere and telomere regions on the chromosomes, end quote. Whether these markers are a cause or effect of the splitting process remains to be seen and is something the researchers hope to continue looking into. And the researchers point out that these shared markers are so common to identical twins, but so uncommon to others, that they came up with a test to determine if someone had ever been an identical twin, achieving 80% accuracy. It's something that could be improved upon and pursued commercially, a test that could be done with a simple cheek swab, though it would only work for showing you if you ever had an identical twin, not a fraternal one. Nancy Segal, a developmental psychologist at California State University Fullerton who was not involved in the study, told Science News, quote, This is a very, very important finding that opens up a lot of avenues of inquiry. And continuing from Science News, For example, identical twins are predisposed for a variety of conditions, from left-handedness to certain congenital disorders such as spina bifida, where the spine fails to develop properly. Perhaps for some portion of people, these conditions stem from being an unknown identical twin, she says. End quote. And Jeffrey Craig, a twin researcher at Deakin University, told Science.org that maybe some disorders that are more common in identical twins actually only occur in identical twins, and we just never knew it before. There are a lot of cool findings that could come out of this study, but mostly, Fandongan is just excited to get closer to understanding why a zygote splits into two embryos in the first place, one of the biggest prevailing mysteries about identical twins. Every day this week, starting yesterday and going through Monday the 11th, the Nobel Foundation is announcing this year's prize winners. We've yet to learn chemistry, literature, economics, or peace, but the winners of the Physics Prize included a team that helped predict global warming, and the winners of the Medicine Prize used chili peppers and menthol to better understand our sense of touch and temperature. 
Now, as cool as the medicine winner's work sounds, and as huge of implications it may have in terms of new treatment for pain relief, for example, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little surprised that the Nobel Prize in Medicine or Physiology didn't go to someone who worked on the development of a COVID-19 vaccine, or anything related to the pandemic at all. Catalin Carrico, who helped pioneer the mRNA technology used in several of the vaccines, would certainly have been at the top of my list. But hey, we still have the chemistry and peace prizes to come, and I am very curious if either of those will reflect some of the achievements of the pandemic. In any case, let's dive more into this Nobel Prize-winning chili pepper experiment. Quoting Smithsonian Magazine, David Julius and Artem Patapushin's independent discoveries led to a rapid increase in scientists' understanding of how we sense stimuli in our environment, like heat, cold, and touch. Without these crucial receptors, we wouldn't be able to feel a hug from a loved one or know to pull away from a hot flame. Julius, a professor of physiology at the University of California, San Francisco, used capsaicin, the irritating component of chili peppers, to pinpoint a protein on nerve cells that responds to painful levels of spice. Molecular biologist Patapushin and his team at Scripps Research in La Jolla, California, poked individual cells with a micropipette and observed their electric signals. Using this prodding technique, Patapushin was able to identify the cellular mechanism and underlying gene that translates a mechanical force, like pressure on our skin, into an electrical signal in our nervous system. Working independently of each other, Julius and Patapushin also used menthol to discover a receptor for sensing cold. End quote. Of their selection, the Nobel Assembly said, quote, Prior to the discoveries of David Julius and Artem Patapushin, our understanding of how the nervous system senses and interprets our environment still contained a fundamental unresolved question. How are temperature and mechanical stimuli converted into electrical impulses in the nervous system? End quote. Not only have the two scientists independently figured out the molecular basis for our ability to sense temperature and touch, but their studies dug deeper to find out how the molecules work and lay the groundwork for potential treatment for chronic pain, a huge area awaiting greater innovation and understanding. The Physics Prize, meanwhile, went to three scientists who have been studying the climate emergency, marking the first time that the Physics Prize specifically has ever been awarded to a climate scientist. The three winners, Soyokuro Minabe, Klaus Hasselmann, and Giorgio Parisi, will share the prize. Quoting the New York Times, In 1967, Dr. Manabe developed a computer model that confirmed the critical connection between the primary greenhouse gas carbon dioxide and warming in the atmosphere. That model paved the way for others of increasing sophistication. Dr. Manabe's later models, which explored connections between conditions in the ocean and atmosphere, were crucial to recognizing how increased melting of the Greenland ice sheet could affect ocean circulation in the North Atlantic, said Michael Mann, a climate scientist at Pennsylvania State University. He has contributed fundamentally to our understanding of human-caused climate change and dynamical mechanisms, Dr. Mann said, end quote. And building off of Dr. Manabe's work, fellow prize winner Dr. Hasselman created a model that laid the foundation for attribution studies, which basically show the influence of climate change on short-term climate phenomena like rain, droughts, heat waves, and more, and how those short-term events over a matter of days can influence ocean climate over a matter of years. 
Now, Dr. Parisi's work is a little different. He's worked in many fields, from biology to math to machine learning. But in terms of climate science, he's, quoting again, credited with the discovery of the interplay of disorder and fluctuations in physical systems, including everything from a tiny collection of atoms to the atmosphere of an entire planet. End quote. And he did this studying something called spin glass, which is when, quoting the Washington Post, a bed of copper atoms is randomly sprinkled with iron atoms. The iron atoms act similar to a magnet, except that in spin glass, the magnetic pairs point in different rather than the same directions. A long-standing question in theoretical physics was to determine why the pairs pointed the way they did. Parisi solved this by finding a hidden structure in replicated spin glass systems, a method that became a cornerstone of the theory of complex systems, according to the Nobel Brief. End quote. And according to Parisi and others, his finding can help us understand environmental variation and fluctuations that might occur over long periods of time as a result of many moving parts. Dr. Hasselman expressed his gratitude for the honor, including this point in an interview, quote, I'm very happy that they put the attention on the climate problem, which is really important. We've been warning about climate change for about 50 years or so. It's just that people are not willing to accept the fact that they have to act now. End quote. So you may have heard back in May that Howard University named their College of Fine Arts after alumnus Chadwick Boseman. Today, it was announced that Howard has partnered with Netflix to additionally offer a $5.4 million scholarship in Bozeman's name that will cover the full cost of four years of tuition to one student each year. In addition to opening the door for talented students and continuing to honor the legacy of Chadwick Boseman, I think this is pretty cool because Boseman himself actually benefited from a scholarship from another Hollywood actor. A few years ago, Boseman revealed in Rolling Stone that he got to study acting at Oxford for a summer while he was at Howard as part of a class being taught by Felicia Rashad. When Rashad found out that some of the students, including Boseman, couldn't afford the experience, she rallied some of her celebrity friends to contribute. And after the fact, Bozeman got a letter informing him that his summer abroad had been paid for by Denzel Washington. So just a cool little full circle footnote there. I miss Chadwick Bozeman so much, but I'm glad that so many initiatives are being propped up in his name so that more and more people have a chance to follow in his footsteps and forge their own paths. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.